Yeah. Okay. Hey, happy Mother's Day, everybody. Um, yeah. Uh, listen, so this is the first official, like, Mother's Day message that we've ever done as a church. We're about to do a Mother's Day message, in case you didn't know. Uh, you know, we celebrate Mother's Day when it comes around each year. There's usually a gift. We usually say a little something. But as we're planning out the, the calendar for the church this year, it's like, hey, let's actually you know, spend a week. We're going to talk to moms. A couple weeks, we're going to talk to dads. Um, and then, then the week came up, right? You plan things out like months, and I'm like, what were we thinking? Like, how? Like, I am not the person to give a Mother's Day message, okay? I don't know if you all have noticed, but not a mom, okay? Just, just not. Um, and the only thing I could keep thinking of is like, maybe I should just read this book. Have you guys ever, are you my mother? My kids love that book, right? Like, no, I am not your mother. Um, but here, here's what I know, though. Um, I, I understand the, the significance and the importance um, and the high calling that God places on moms. And so here's what I want to do over the next couple of minutes. Um, I just want to hopefully encourage you uh, and remind you, or maybe this will be something you're hearing for the first time, um, of what God says about you. And it doesn't matter what your life stage or life story is, uh, as a lady here or watching, um, there's, I believe there's something in this for you. Because there's something that God says to you and he's calling you to, no matter who you are, where you're at. Maybe you're at a stage in life where it's like, you don't have kids. Maybe you will someday. Maybe you're at a point where it's like, you won't have kids. And motherhood isn't something that ever happened for you. Or maybe you've got adult kids and you're like, what do I do now? Because that was such a big part of, of my life. Or, or you know, maybe you're, you're, like, you're in the thick of it right now and it just every day it feels like there's a fire whistle going off, right? And it's, just, it's just craziness. Um, and and maybe, maybe because of the pressures of like the world that we live in and like social media influencer culture, it's like, I always feel like I'm failing as a mom because I can never be like, you know, you get on Instagram and you're like, hi, I'm, I don't know, Jackie and I'm a mom of four and I got up at 6am today and made my kids all a healthy, whole organic lunch. And you're like, I hate you, Jackie. Okay. Cause I can't do that. Cause you know, like, you know, maybe for you, it's like, I love my kids, but like, my career is important to me and like the things I do in the community. And like, so listen, it doesn't matter who you are, where you're at in that stage or story. Um, none of those things, what I want to say today is just none of those things define your womanhood or your motherhood. That, that who you are as a woman, who you are as a mom, it is anchored in your identity, who God says that you are and what you're called to. Um, and so I want to spend some time talking about that. If you are a follower of Jesus, this is true of you. Um, if you're not, this is what you're invited into. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to preach a message in a way that I never really do. I'm not like a three bullet points kind of person. I'm more of a meandering journey kind of person. Um, but today, there are three things that I just want you to know are true of you. And we're going to talk about those three things, and we're going to get you out of here to on, on to whatever else you have for the day. The first thing that I would want to say to you um, as a woman here or watching online is that you are made in the image of God. This is the foundational identity of who you are. You are made in the image of God. It's a, it's a phrase and an idea that kind of gets thrown around like in church sometimes. Like, yeah, we're made in the image of God. But it's like, okay, but what does that mean? What does that mean exactly? In the first book of, of scripture, uh, the book of Genesis, the first chapter, we get this image, this, this phrase, you're made in the image of God. And when we turn to the pages of Genesis, the, the mistake that we could make is going to it as 21st century people looking for like scientific answers, right? It, it is not an idea of like, these are the scientific processes in which God brought the universe into existence. It's answering these bigger questions of like, who are we? Who is God? What kind of world is this? What's wrong? What's broken? And the author of Genesis weaves these things together with this beautiful poetic language. And he says this about humanity. 
that God created man or mankind in his own image. He created them in the image of God. He created them male and female. You were made in the image of God. Now, that does not mean that God was like, you know, a two-legged humanoid-looking thing. And we're like, oh, we look like God looked. But there's like ancient Near Eastern context that's happening here. In, in ancient Israel's context with their neighbors, all of the neighboring communities and, and, and people groups, they all had their various deities. They had the different gods that they worshipped. And in their gods and with their deities, they would have a temple. And when you would go into the temple, there would be a physical representation of that god in the form of like a statue or what we would call an idol or an image. And so you would go to that temple and you would worship that god and, and, and you, would, you would see his image. The author of Genesis sets up the creation narrative as a, the building and the filling of a temple, God's cosmic temple in which he inhabits this universe. And at the culmination of it, he says, here's my image. I'm going to place my representatives to the rest of the world in this earth. And your job and your calling and your responsibility and this beautiful high calling that you have is to represent God to the world around you. You're made in his image. You are a reflection of the creator. And there's this, this dual, like, two-part nature to humanity, male and female. And, and, and we turn to Genesis 2, and he gives us a different kind of picture of the creation narrative and kind of goes into a little bit more detail about, okay, who, who is humanity exactly? And there's this, this man named Adam who's created, and even Adam is a really flexible and fun word in the Hebrew, that Adam can be a name, a proper name that's referred to, or Adam is the Hebrew word for humanity, or it can be man. And so the man, the, the humanity, that Adam, it's like it's all of those things, he creates Adam, humanity, and, and he's alone. He's like, it's not, it's not good. It's not good for man to be alone. And so there's this kind of famous or well-known passage that goes a little something like this. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. Some of you moms are like, can I get in on that? Like, praise Jesus, I just want to sleep. Um, but this idea of like a deep sleep, again, let's uh, pull ourselves out of the 21st century uh, way of thinking where it's like, oh, so God's like an anesthesiologist. Okay, got it. It's like, Adam, count backwards from 100, please. 99, 98, right? It's not doing that. Um, this idea of a, like a deep sleep is just kind of like a supernatural thing that happens. We see a couple of times in the Old Testament, some of the prophets, some of the patriarchs, where they'll get into like this almost dream, like trance-like state, where it's something that comes upon them from God. And in that state, they're able to, to see the reality that is beyond our current reality. It's like they're able to see what, what's really happening. They're able to see like what God is doing behind the scenes and they see into like God's space. And so there's that picture of what's happening here that we're about to see something deeper about the nature of humanity. And so God puts him into this sleep and he takes one of his ribs and closes the flesh at that place. And the Lord God made the rib that he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. I happen to think that this uh, translation that we get the word rib is one of like the worst things, worst translation issues that we have in scripture. Who has, who has heard this before? Like God took a rib and made a woman. Yes? Okay. Um, that is not what it says, guys. It's not, it's not what it says. Uh, we get the word rib from this kind of like the, like the Latin translation way back in the day. And that got brought into the first English translation, the King James Bible. And it was so well known that it just stuck ever since. And it's just rib, rib, rib. But the word that's used for rib here is this Hebrew word, selah. And it is only ever used one time right here to refer to like human anatomy, like a human, like something of human flesh. 
Everywhere else it's used in the Old Testament, it's actually an architectural term. It's used to refer to the side of a building, usually like a holy or dedicated building. Like it's used to refer to one side of the temple. And and so literally what what, what is, is being communicated here is that God takes humanity and like splits humanity in half. And on one side, there's male. On one side, there's female. There's this beautiful truth that is being communicated about the nature of humanity, that we are co-equal and yet beautifully distinct, and that the two parts together reflect the image of God, that, that we can't reflect God with, without both men and women. We can't represent God without men and women. We can't represent God to our families without men and women. We can't be the church and reflect the beauty and the goodness of Jesus to the world without both men and women image bearers of God. And he brings the woman to Adam and he's like, uh, Adam said, hey, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman for she was taken from man. And this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife and they will become one flesh. What kind of becomes as like the the initiation, the institution, the the origin of of marriage, of one man, one woman, this, this one flesh unity But it's not just about marriage. See, marriage is never a thing in and of itself. It's always pointing to a greater reality. And the greater reality that's being pointed to here in Genesis is that men and women together image God. And in the context of this kind of covenantal relationship, something really astounding happens that God himself is the source of all life. That life springs out of God, that it flows out of God, and you have this male-female imaging of God. And when you bring two of the images of God together in this kind of relationship, life is possible. It's a reflection of God's glory and God's image to the world around us. So he looks at you and says, listen, you are made in the image of God, male and female. And he says, God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. So who you are, you're my image bearer, you're my, my representative, but I have an assignment for you. And the assignment that's given is this one that is full of this kind of royal language. These priestly kings and queens. God says, like, I'm creating the world and I have all the authority and all the power, but I want human partners. I want to give you some of this authority to go out and to rule and to reign and to subdue. That that when creation happens, as you kind of read through the account, it starts with this picture of this disordered, chaotic, watery, like darkness. And out of the disorder, God brings order and beauty and a place where humans can flourish. And there's this this garden. It's like a garden, temple, mountaintop called Eden. And sometimes we think that, that Eden was all of creation, but it wasn't. It was just one location. That in that one spot, God makes this place that's inhabitable for humanity. But in the rest of the world, it's just still raw material. It's still unordered. So God gives humanity this calling to say, you are made in my image just as I've brought beauty and flourishing here. Take it to the whole world. Bring beauty and order and flourishing. Bring beauty and order and flourishing in everything that you do. This is what it means to be made in the image of God, to represent him well. Ladies, you're called to bring beauty and order and flourishing to your home and in the world around you, to your workplaces, in your friend groups, in your community. You're called to represent God in your home and in the place that you work, in the place that you find friends, in the places in the community. And and if you are a mom and if you have children, understand that having children is unto this greater calling so that they too may be image bearers of God and reflect his goodness to the world around us. The, the, The idea of like, 
We're not just attempting to raise kids to be like functioning members of society, okay? That's a good start, but that bar is way too low. He says, no, like raise children so that they may also go out and bring flourishing and represent God to the world around them. And if like you are in that place where you have children, understand that that's also to that greater calling. He says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Why? So that you can rule and reign and subdue and bring beauty. You're made in the image of God. And the great thing is this, is there is so much room to do that in unique and beautiful ways. This is like a broad category. Hey, you're made in God's image. Now you can bring all of your uniqueness and your gifting and your passions to that. That there's so many beautiful examples throughout scripture and throughout history um, of just like women of God being like, this is how I'm gonna represent him. This is how I'm going to bring beauty to the world around me. And I was going to go through some examples from the Old Testament, but I was like, this message is too long, so <laughs> you'll have to go look that up yourself. But there's this idea, like, you have this high calling and identity that you're called to represent God, to bring beauty, to bring order, to bring flourishing, to be his image bearer. But if we're being honest, I can feel like a lot, right? You're like, oh my gosh, I'm just trying to, like, get out the door on time. You want me to do what now? And it can begin to feel like, I, you know, I will, if I'm trying to represent God and trying to bring beauty and flourishing, I'm trying to do that in my home, and I'm trying to do that in the world, I'm trying to do that in my workplace and all these, I, I can't do that and I will fail. And you're actually right. You can't do that and you will fail, which is why the second thing is so true and so beautiful as well. Not only are you made in the image of God, but you are filled with the spirit of God. You were never made or called to do it on your own. That as that creation account went, we're made in God's image, something went horribly amiss and sin enters into the world. That image of God in us is broken and it's distorted. And this is the idea of sin. Sin simply means to miss the mark. Like there's a, there's a target that we're trying to hit. And when you miss that mark, that's the idea of sin. The mark that we're trying to hit is like, here's what a human is supposed to be. Represent God. Bring this beauty order and flourishing. We're like, nah, we're going to do our own thing. Jesus shows up and says, okay, I'm here to redeem and restore. And we, we think of Jesus dying on the cross, forgiving our sins, rising from the dead, defeating the power of the grave, right? And that's beautiful and that's true. But he also does something more. He also creates in himself a new humanity, redeemed and restored people who are empowered by his spirit to be the image bearers that he's calling us to be. And so Jesus begins creating this new humanity after his life, death, and resurrection. There's this really famous thing that happens called Pentecost. Uh, It's literally 50 days after Passover. Um, And so it's actually coming up on our calendars in 2023 here in about two weeks. But Jesus says, okay, my my spirit's gonna come on you and he's he's gonna fill you and empower you. And so that happens at Pentecost and the apostle Peter stands up and he declares this, this message, he declares the gospel like to the very people who killed Jesus, this crowd that's in the city of Jerusalem. And his message is essentially, hey, Jesus was our Messiah. You killed him. God raised him from the dead. We, we are witnesses to these things. And now you need, to, you need to respond. You need to repent. You need to do something with that. And people see the boldness and the power of, of Peter and, and the other disciples. And they're like, what is going on? And Peter's like, I'll, I'll tell you what's going on. And he quotes the prophet Joel in this sermon in Acts chapter two, of like what would be true when the Messiah came? What would be true whenever uh, God is creating this new humanity empowered by the spirit? So Peter stands up and he says this, it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. So he's talking to a group of Jewish people. He's like, this is not just for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles as well. And then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Prophecy is not like predicting the future. Sometimes that's what we think prophecy is. Like, hmm, I know what's going to happen 20 years from now. 
But prophecy, rather, is declaring the things of God. It's saying, this is what God says. This is what he's calling us to. This is what we need to live towards. So I'm going to pour out my spirit on sons and daughters, and they will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. See, not only are you made in the image of God, but you are filled with the spirit of God. If you are a follower of Jesus, his spirit is living within you. The same spirit, the same power that raised Christ from the dead now lives and dwells within you, empowering you to be all that you need to be. Giving, he, he gives gifts and abilities for you to, to do and to be what he's calling you to be and calling you to do. That God has given you exactly what you need to be the woman he has called you to be and do the things that he has called you to do. You are empowered, you are gifted. We read through uh, the New Testament and there's a couple different lists that get compiled of the different gifts that the Spirit gives. And every follower of Jesus, young, old, male, female, rich, poor, does not matter. Everyone empowered by the Spirit has a gift or some gifts given to them. And so ladies, this is true of you. Some of you may have this gift that's listed of administration. And you're like, well, that seems like a boring gift. But some of you are just great administrators. It's like I can get all the details together and I can cross the T's and I can dot the I's. And that's a a gift that the Spirit gives. Some of you have this gift of apostleship to go out and start uh, kingdom-minded ventures. Some have the gift of discernment for, for you to be able to be like, okay, I'm looking at these situations and I'm testing this and I'm putting it to the test and this is what we should do. Some have the gift of evangelism to be able to go and just declare the gospel and the goodness of Jesus to people. Some have the gift of exhortation to be able to call out and call up people to say, hey, this is what's true of you. This is what God says of you. Some of you have the gift of of faith, the gift of faith, which is just like, you just, man, some of you trust God so much. And not only do you trust him for yourself, you trust him for your family, you trust him for your friends. You just have this gift of, of faith. Some have the gift of giving extremely generous. It just flows out of you. It's like you don't even have to try. Some have the gift of, of healing to be able to sit with people or, or put hands on people and pray for people and make it physical, mental, emotional, spiritual healing. Some have the gift of hospitality. Like some of you just have this uncanny ability to make complete strangers feel like family. You may have the gift of knowledge. Just like, I know stuff. I just, there's just knowledge in my head and it just comes out. You may have the gift of leadership to be able to lead in your homes or in your businesses or in your communities, you have the gift of, of mercy. I've been told I don't have this gift. <laughs> the gift of mercy to just sit with people in their brokenness or in their pain or in their shame and say, I'm here with you and you are forgiven and you are loved and I'm gonna be with you. Some have the gift of prophecy, again, this idea of declaring the truths of God. Some have the, the gift of service or helps. You're just like self-sacrificing help is just what you do. Some have the gift of, of tongues, maybe, this, this kind of prayer language and worship. Some have the gift of teaching, to be able to look at Scripture and say, here's what it says, and here's the, the nuance of this, and let me communicate that clearly. Some may have the gift of shepherding, this idea of saying, here's where someone is, and here's where they need to go, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guide you on that journey. I'm going to walk with you on that journey. Maybe you have the gift of, of wisdom, to be able to say, here's some information, and here's some life experience, and not only do I know, what to, I, I, do I know things, but I know what to do with what I know. All of you have a gift or some gifts. All of you are empowered by the Spirit. You have exactly what you need to be the woman that God is calling you to be. You're made in the image of God. You're filled with the Spirit of God. And the last one is this. That being made in the image and being filled with the Spirit is kind of unto this third one, that you are called to the mission of God. That God is on a mission in this world, and he's inviting you to be a part of it. The mission of God that that, that says, listen, here's what Jesus asks of every one of his followers. Go declare the goodness of King Jesus to the world around you. Point people to him. 
declare the gospel. He tells his disciples, hey, you are going to be my witnesses up close at home and around the world. You're my witnesses. He says, you're, you're, you're going to, I want you to make disciples, teaching them everything that I've taught you, teaching them what, I, what I've done and what I've said and who I am, t- teaching them about my life, death, and resurrection, and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is the mission that God is calling you to. You are called to that mission in your home, in the church, and in the world. You're called to that mission with your own children, if you have them, and with others. Two examples of this in the New Testament. Uh, one, an example where it's like with a, a biological child and then one with just someone who's not. So first one is this guy named Timothy. Um, Timothy is the protege of the Apostle Paul. So the Apostle Paul has got a, a, a guy younger than him that he's kind of training up in the faith. His name's Timothy. And Timothy is a leader in uh, the early church. And Paul writes him a couple letters to instruct him and give him encouragement and to tell him what to do. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul writes to Timothy and says this in verse 5. I recall, Timothy, I recall your sincere faith. Timothy, you've got a faith that is rock solid. It is sincere, like you really believe this. But it's a faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And, I, and now I am convinced is in you also. Like, Timothy, I love your faith. Timothy, your faith is sincere. Timothy, your faith is great. But Timothy, don't you forget where it started. It started with Grandmama Lois and Mama Eunice, okay? Like, that's where this faith started. That's where it got planted in you. At the end of the same letter, Paul, again, he's encouraging him, saying, hey, stay strong in the faith, stick through these things. He tells Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. Why? Well, you know those who taught you. And you know, and you know that from infancy, from infancy, you have known the sacred scriptures which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And so the, the, way, the way we would maybe say this, you know, if we were Paul talking to Timothy, Timothy, when you were this high, okay, like before you could walk, before you could talk, Timothy, before you could form sentences and, and communicate, like before you ever did anything, you were having the things of God built into your life, spoken into your life. There was a foundation being set for your life. Timothy, Your faith is strong. Your faith is sincere. You trust and follow Jesus. You're a leader in the early church. But do you know where it started? It started with your mom and your grandma pouring into you what they had received. Lois and Eunice. This is one of the things I love about scripture. It's just kind of, it's just so real. Like just two random ladies from the first century. We know nothing about Lois and Eunice other than the fact that it's Timothy's mom and grandma. And there's something beautiful about that. We don't know anything really about them, about their story. But Timothy would go on to be a leader. He's a leader in the first century church. He would be part of carrying the faith to the next generation. He would be an overseer in a movement that would go on to change the Roman Empire, that would go on to change the world, and has affected every one of our lives here today. That's Timothy. But it started with the faithfulness of a mom and a grandma. There's something really, really beautiful in that. When we feel the pressures of feeling like I have to produce, what am I contributing to the world? What am I doing? What do I, what do, I do? My value is in what I, I do. But moms, your biggest contribution to the world may not be something that you do. It may be someone that you raise. You're called to join in God's mission in your home. Say, I'm going to pour in this faith into my own children. But not only if, if you have children of your own, are you called to, to pour that uh, into them, but you're called to pour that into others as well. 
that every one of you, regardless of if you have kids or you don't, you weren't able to, or your kids are grown, you're called to pour that kind of faith and bring up those coming behind you. You're called to be spiritual mothers to those who are coming behind. Here's the second example. This is Romans 16. So uh, the letter to the Romans, this is like the Apostle Paul's kind of most dense theological work. He's unpacking all kinds of concepts and stuff, but I love it because at the end, he has like a whole chapter that's just like personal greetings. Romans 16 is just full of Paul going like, oh yeah, tell so-and-so I said hi, and I really miss them, and they've been so important to me. It's just like Paul shouting out all the people in his life that have made a difference, that have been important to him, that have, like, it's him saying, okay, you know, I'm the apostle Paul or whatever, but who I am and where I am, I would not be there if it wasn't for these people, if they weren't on the journey with me. And so in the midst of this list, he's listing all these people who are important um, in the city of Rome, he says, hey, greet Rufus, he's chosen in the Lord. But don't just greet Rufus, greet his mother too. Like tell Rufus and his mom I said hi. And you're like, why, Paul? Because she's been like a mother to me. You tell, yeah, tell Rufus, tell his mom, like, you, like I, I love her. She's meant so much to me. She's been so important to me. I wouldn't be who I am without Rufus's mom. And, and I love it because this is this, this beautiful moment. We know nothing about Rufus's mom. We don't even know her name. But she was important enough that the apostle Paul said, I want you to say hi. I wouldn't be who I am if it wasn't for her. She means that much to me. It's interesting, actually, that, that uh, Rufus is, is likely the son of a guy named Simon of Cyrene. Um, he's the only Rufus that's listed in the New Testament. Simon was, uh, was the guy that carried Jesus' cross. As Jesus was beaten, having to carry his own cross, and didn't have the strength to do it, Simon is who they, uh, they, they pull to say, hey, carry this guy's cross. And it says that Simon has two sons, Rufus and Alexander. And so there's a like a high chance that this is that Rufus. There's a high chance that Simon went home from carrying the cross that day and seeing those events and everything that unfolded and sharing that with his family, sharing that with Rufus's mom and Rufus and Alexander. And now here is Rufus and Rufus's mom making an impact in Paul's life who's then making an impact in our life. Because this is just how the church is meant to work. This is Paul saying, Rufus is my brother. His mom is my mom. Because when Jesus saves us, he doesn't just uh, save us out of something. He doesn't just say, okay, great, you can go and live your life apart, kind of over here. He saves us into something, into a family. Spiritual brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers saying, I'm going to walk alongside you, and I'm going to raise up those who are coming behind, and we're going to continue to declare the goodness and the faithfulness of Jesus to the next generation and the next and the next and the next. You've got someone who needs you to be a spiritual mom. No matter what stage of life, there's someone who's coming behind you who needs you. You're called to join in on God's mission, declaring the goodness of Jesus. And so, listen, you're made in the image of God. You're filled with the spirit of God. You're called to the mission of God. I don't know, ladies, like what your life stage is, what your life story is. Maybe you don't have kids yet. Maybe you will in the future. Maybe you won't. Maybe you don't have any. Maybe you've got adult kids. Maybe, you're, maybe your kids are like quickly approaching adulthood and you're like, oh no, no, no. Are they gonna be okay? What do I do? What do I do next? Maybe you're at a place where you're right in the thick of things with kids of your own and you're just like, am I, am I doing this right? Am I failing? Am I the right kind of mom? None, none of that has anything to do with your motherhood or your womanhood. It doesn't come from any of those things. It comes from who God says you are what he's created you for, and what he's empowered you for. And he says, you are someone who is made in his image. You are made to bring flourishing and beauty to the world around you. You are made to be the representative of God to the world around you, to your families, to your friends, that you are filled with his spirit. 
You are empowered. You are gifted. You are equipped to do everything that he has called you to do, to be everything that he has called you to be. And you're called to his mission, to make disciples, to make much of Jesus, to declare the gospel in your own household, with your own children, if you have them, but for all of you in the household of God and in the world around you to say, this is who Jesus is. And this is what it means to be his follower. You're made in the image of God. You're filled with the spirit of God and you are called to the mission of God. And don't let anybody ever tell you otherwise. Let me pray for you. God, we thank you so much just for who you are, for the way that you love us, for what you have done, what you are doing in the world and in our lives. God, we, we praise you. We thank you um, for moms. We thank you for women. We thank you for the, just the, the, the gifts uh, that, that they have, for what you have called them to. Lord, I pray um, for the ladies here in the room and those watching online that they would know who you made them to be, that they are made in your image, they're filled with your spirit, that they are called to your mission. God, I pray you would empower them, equip them, gift them for every work that you have for them. We thank you that this is all possible through your son, Jesus, who gave his life for us. We pray this in his name. Amen.